much for doing it. Welcome back to another edition of Talk So Real with Matt Sanzala, the podcast in which I, Matt Sanzala, sit down and just talk with my friends. Um, apologies to all of you who might have thought I might be being consistent in my life at some uh, this point, and it looked like maybe it was going to happen. Maybe there was going to be some consistency there. And we started season three, and I have to uh, admit the flu swept through this apartment, through the studio here. We had to kind of cancel some things, postpone some things. But we're back today with a very special talk with a man I've been wanting to get in here for a long time. My man Kevin Curtin is in the house. Daddy who, Kev. Who would have thought that you would be consistent in doing this? Man. You know, these people. There's, you know, you're, I'm, you, I'm a dreamer. You're, you're consistently credible, you know. And, but, but, but no one who is in like music, art, and shit is consistent in doing things on time and by the book. Yeah, I mean, I think that's true, but there's something to be said for that with podcasts. Like, I do this very literally for fun, you know, and just to talk to my people and I want to tell stories and talk shit and keep my uh, skills going and things like this. But I'm, uh, I don't know. I do recognize that the podcasts that make it and people can, they come out on Tuesday at three or whatever it's supposed to be uh-huh. or they're every single day or they're more, you know, more thing in which I'm going to try to do, which I yeah. should be able to, but then things happen. Yeah. You know, well, it, may I set the scene a little bit yes. for me coming in today? So I was driving here in my van and I, and I crossed Mopac and I was like, damn, I'm on the west side of Mopac. Mm-hmm. I'm not even let into this part of town. Most of the time. That's what I was thinking, right? Yeah. I stop at the 7-Eleven, get a fruit cup because I didn't sleep last night and I thought I needed something. And stood there for 15 minutes behind a tweaker lady. And I was like... Oh. You got tweakers here? Yeah, we do, actually. It's crazy over here. I mean, you're talking about far west of Mopac area, basically. And before, uh, in my former life, I lived literally directly across the highway from here. Uh I came to the HEB three times, maybe, in my life over here before moving here. And uh, I never, never crossed that road, ever, ever. And uh, came over here, and I'm like, man... First of all, in Austin, it's a really special part of Austin, actually, because it's really densely populated. It's all apartments and then surrounded by rich, rich, rich. This is where surrounded by rich houses. But like this is apartmentville of like my apartments in general. Like when I moved out of Allendale, which is a beautiful neighborhood Mm -hmm. for me, the sting of kind of like, quote, you know, downgrading into an apartment or whatever. I got divorced. Uh was looking out my window and seeing diversity and seeing like, I mean, there's women here in total Indian garb. There's women here in Nigerian, like on a Sunday, you see them just dressed to the nines. You see all kinds of people. There's also some tweakers (laughs) and strange things happen here. Now and again, but it's like a city. Real people, yeah. It's real real people. people. No, seriously, my boy from my hometown, Erie, came down for a wedding and stayed here and he was like, Yo, how did you find? He'd been here a few times before. He's like, "How did you find the area of Austin with like the normal people?" And I was yeah. like, "Man, yeah." He's like, "It looks like a, you know, and I can walk to HEB. I can walk to the library, to the post office. There's a there's a neighborhood bar called the Boulevard, uh-huh. like, and it's it's cool. It's right like, if you go there at night. They're sometimes playing like zero 
Uh-huh. Yeah, Paul, yeah. you know, like Swisher House shit or Screw right. shit. Like, right. And it's not, and it's not $10 it's not hip for at all. a drink. No, yeah. not at all. It's just yeah. real chill. There's food over here. There's Korean food. There's Indian Nepalese. The Nepalese, yeah. There's a... Yeah. Uh, so I never, I never knew, but I wanted to just knew when it happened. I didn't want to be too far from the kids and the house and stuff. I just saw this is the neighborhood I targeted. And it actually was, it's a little more now, but it's pretty affordable for Austin standards. Uh-huh. And it's very central. But I, I know exactly what you're saying because for what? How, when do you come over here? The Especially- only time I come over to Far West is when I, someone is giving some nice, like, landscape and stuff or deck furniture away on the free section of Craigslist. And it's like really nice. Like they're giving this away. And then you pull into one of these neighborhoods over here and it's like, Oh man, this is a nice neighborhood. These It's crazy. They throw away good shit. You know, Oh, we go to state, the estate sales over here are real good. This is old Austin. I mean, to an extent, like there's a lot of, uh, this is old normal Austin or whatever, you know? And then the Jewish community centers in this area. Yep. The Nazis were hanging the, 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 the the vax the Jews thing right uh, right right here a yeah. block away from yeah, where we're yeah. sitting at that overpass yeah. yeah and I was in San Antonio I mean and I was thinking about how like I'm like 50 I'm not as radical as I once was but how did no one run over there and kick them right off that bridge I don't really know because I live right here and if I saw that pop up on my feed I'd have snapped speaking but, of that yeah. I want to thank you for having me on I know you probably could have got Kanye at this point man you know I probably wouldn't refuse him but uh, you, no, everyone must. Man. Yeah, no, nah, I don't. Must. To be honest with you, I um, I can't lie, man. I have ignored him completely as much as possible. You know, you still see little things, but I ignored him completely. And then something popped up on my feed the other day that he was going to be on Alex Jones, and I, I can't lie to you. I was like, yeah, I'm going to watch Kanye on Alex fucking Jones. Same. I don't give a shit. <laughs> this is going to be a nutty train wreck, and it was – because I hadn't been really watching as much, I heard that he said things, but I didn't really pay attention. When I was, I was sitting there, I was like, man, this is, it's, it's disgusting, but it's also the ultimate troll bullshit. Like it is the worst. Kanye does not admire Hitler. No, no, it's that thing. He's doing, he knows how to stay on TV. He married into the most Illuminati entertainment family um, on the planet. He's a Kardashian. He moved, you know, they got divorced, fine, whatever. But he moved into that whole world that's just bigger than rap, bigger than music, bigger than fashion. It's the biggest everything. It's everything. Yeah. And maybe he snapped. <clears throat> I don't really know, but he certainly, as much as, you know, all publicity is good publicity, no matter what it is. He's keeping himself out there and maybe he's alienating a lot of people who loved him, but. He's bringing in a whole new. He's just he's an opportunist, and there's a lot to. It's just some whack bullshit. And if we could literally turn him off, yeah, you know. Well, well, that's a. This was the first. This week was the first time where I thought that he was impacting his legacy. I always thought like he's been, he's been making uh, music that's severely dipped in quality for for like four and a half years, you know, and uh, and. You know, saying a lot of things that, you know, seem just fucked up, right? Mm-hmm. But the body of work is so beloved and it's so vast and so many people have heard all of his records and there's something people can relate over and look at their own, look back at their lives over that I've, I've always thought, 
none of this shit he's doing, you know, he can put out a bad gospel album. He's like, you know, it's like Bob Dylan put out a lot of bad albums and stuff, but like, um, he won't ruin his legacy. That, that watching that Infowars thing was the first time where I was like, nah, this is going to be in the top paragraph potentially forever when people write about Kanye, you know, mm-hmm. or, or, I don't know. So yeah. Anyway, I mean, it's superstar shit and I'm, I'm always for the underdog, man. I never was really, when Kanye came out, you know, everybody was so stoked. I mean, his early production, speeding up samples, this and that. I'm sorry, but I was really riding for Houston, Chicago, other shit in Chicago. And it was in an era where I missed a lot of, I love a lot of the indie, like hip hop, you know, the, the New York stuff that came out in the nineties. But at that time, my mentality was more like, oh, you're talking about how amazingly innovative company flow is, but then have you heard psychodrama from Chicago or the Snipers or what they were doing, like sounds that were coming out of the West Side that weren't common and weren't, yeah, you know, Kanye and all that. Was, this was the, this shit was wild. Mm-hmm. 100% independent from the streets, very, like, experimental. Right. They got no attention like that. They were just gangster shit, and that wasn't real hip-hop or whatever. And so I kind of crusaded on that side a lot more. And when Kanye was really ascending, that wasn't the record I was grabbing. So I don't, I probably, I might not have ever listened to an entire Kanye West album. Mm -hmm. I might have, but I never like sat down like, ooh, here's the new Kanye. It was so much with my age range, right? Dude, I'm going to say, I had, I learned that. I didn't realize as being older that the impact that he had on a whole generation was just like the the real the hip hop shit that had the biggest impact on me in like the early nineties, late eighties. Yeah, yeah. It was a whole generation of people who were influenced by him. Yeah. And for me personally, it killed a lot because I didn't like like there's so much imitation that came out. It's things are getting better in hip hop right now and in music in general and art in general. I think things are things things are happening. But there was a moment where I was just like, do you all have to sound exactly like this? Mm-hmm. You know, and it kind of stemmed from him, Drake, Migos. There was like yeah. certain styles that everyone had to do. Yeah. You know, and it got old and annoying. But regarding Kanye, it's like, <clears throat> this is great that we're talking about because I can put in the description, I can have hashtag Kanye West yeah, yeah. and hashtag Yeah, I'm, I'm, God, I must be you the know, most like uninformed. Up, right. I'm. I'm like the opinion on Kanye that no one should seek because I don't study Kanye. No. You know, I li- I've listened to all the records, but like, um, but I do, you know, you know, I do like, uh, I do think that people need to fucking uh, reject uh, reject racism and not create like new avenues towards it. And that's exactly. what I really worry about, you yeah. know. And I just feel like I don't know. I don't know. I feel like... Um, I mean, but is he... Uh, first of all, it's damaging. It's not good. It's not okay. I'm not... But kind of like Trump, Like, is it almost... Will people recognize the clown show? I don't know. I mean, yeah, God, I don't want to sound... I don't want to say anything that like where... Don't worry about getting me canceled. I'm no, 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 <laughs> no. I don't want to be like... I don't want to portray myself as aggressive because I'm a pacifist, but I do believe that there is shit that people say, like you say certain shit, you deserve, you might get punched in the face. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? And that's kind of feel like, 
that's the territory that Alex Jones has long lived in, mm-hmm. you know, and now Kanye West, <laughs> you know, is in luck, man. One time, Charlie Sotelo punched Alex Jones in the face. Yeah. There you yeah. go. Yeah, and that but, man is a, a legend, yeah. you know, for life. But people but, forget, too, that, like, Alex Jones was in the beginning, and especially maybe because I was young. He was funny. He was silly. When we'd come from Houston, I'd be like, hey, man, staying at somebody's house. You got public access. You got that chance, that crazy ass dude on right now. We got to see that shit because that's some Austin ass shit. Right. That's some straight. And when you came to Austin, watch the crazy guy because it was crazy. My first experience with him was Waking Life. You know, Linkletter had him in in that movie. And and what he's saying in that movie is like, you know, you're like, yeah, you know, like. Dude, I used to say before he, look, Trump fucked up everything with him and with everything else. I mean, but, and, and of course, Sandy Hook, all that shit is messed up. But early on, he was 50 50. He said some shit, man, that, you know, look out for it. That's where it kind of messed me up where it's like, okay, now you're riding full on Republican when what we liked about you in the beginning was you were fucking fuck everybody. But you know what? I think what we both know is that we don't like fake people. mm -hmm. And I don't, I can't say for sure because I don't know Alex Jones, but I've, I've been at places he's at, you know, I've seen him, he gets fucked up, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I can't say in the, you know, I've seen him, you know, the one time I seen him post pandemic was swimming with his shirt on at Barton Springs, but, uh, <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's like, you see him, see him at bar. I saw, I went to a, a video shoot at the Sahara Lounge where it was him and Mike judge doing, uh, shooting, a a music video uh, for Mike Flanagan together. There was mm. like 10 people there, right? And uh, Flanagan hit me up when I was I was pretty new to the Chronicles. He's like, you should come see this. And it was like, I went there with one of my friends who was visiting out of town, and he's like, Mike Judge and Alex Jones are friends, you know? And it's like, I guess, man, look, they're fucking partying. The, you know, fucking come from that era, and Austin was a lot smaller back then. You knew everybody, man. You knew, they knew each yeah, other, I'm yeah. sure. But. So, so I think that he, you know, I, I don't think, I think, I, I, I assume that he is playing a, a, a character, you know? He's playing like the, the character that gives you the most influence or the most money, you know? And it's, yep. the, the easiest friends to make are, are, are shitty people. Yeah, no, no doubt. So that, I, it was wonderful though to watch him kind of squirm. Yeah, you know, because it was that was bad. And I don't, I want to be very clear. I don't recommend anyone watch it at this point. We, I watched it live. I, I heard about it like fifteen minutes before it came on, uh-huh. and I was like, oh shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, All right, there, yeah. there's a reason why I don't hear nothing about this dude. You know, I'll, and yeah. it was it was crazy, but it was also crazy how because. I guess he had walked out of a podcast earlier. So if you saw how Alex was like, Kanye didn't want me to have the papers on the desk, so I can't have my notes or anything. He told me I can't do this. I was like, dude, you're out of you. what? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then that little smarmy white dude, I don't even know his name. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't care. But you'd see Let's him. not say his name. Yeah, let's not say his name. name. I saw like little videos like of him trolling the hell out of like – who he's 24 years old man i saw a picture of him uh i saw a picture of him speaking at a nazi rally at the uh or white supremacy rally at the uh state capitol in lansing and i remember going every time that there was nazis who would uh organize on the front steps and throw an event at the uh at the capitol in lansing 
everybody who was either, you know, a punk rocker or or a peace activist or a student, they'd all show up and fucking ruin their day, you know, mm-hmm. and risk getting arrested and shit like that. You know what I mean? And that's kind of like, that's the kind of thing. It's like that weird thing between it just ignoring people who are shitty and letting them know that they're not welcome where you're at, you mm-hmm. know, around your people, which is what you were talking about with the, with the, um, the Nazis of the bridge. Yeah. 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 You're just like, dude, these are my fucking neighbors. Fuck you. You know? And it's like, dude, yeah, back in the, we used to fight the Nazis in Houston. Get the fuck out of here. Mm-hmm. You know, have one or two like black punks in the club and you'd all of a sudden see some shit. Yeah. Yeah. And the skinheads came in, you'd have to get them out. Mm-hmm. That was it. You know? Yeah. And it was like, it was a real thing. In my hometown, they'd have a, you know, the same exact thing what you're saying. They'd, there'd be a KKK rally every couple of years, and we'd all mo- activate, you know, teenagers going down there to get them out of here. Mm. So, yeah, that's so what I'm worried about, that somebody who's just, like, kind of, like, I don't know, centrist and interested in pop culture, like, sees Kanye or someone like that saying this shit, you know, and is like, oh, it's okay to feel this way. You know what I mean? Mm. It's like, you, if you... I don't care how old you are, like, if you haven't realized that, like, judging a group of people as one is a fucking very stupid fallacy, then, like, yep. you need to fucking wake the fuck up, you know, so. But one takeaway, and we can we can maybe, we don't have to talk about Kanye. This, the is, the be- this is the best intro. We haven't even yeah. said who I am. Yeah, we're going to get into that in a minute. And I do have a question regarding this, too, that, but if you did notice one thing he said, in one of his rants was he's like, I want to see my mother. I don't care. You really go as far as he goes. There's, there's a good chance we're going to lose him. Yeah. He's going to go see his mother. Somebody's going to take his ass out if he takes it too much further. Yeah. It's crazy. So as a music journalist. <laughs> Recently <laughs> retired music. Well, I don't know. Yeah, yeah not yeah. retired. Come yeah, yeah. on. Not totally. But like, if you're as a music journalist, do you feel compelled to cover things like this? You know, not just this, but like when no, the group no, think that's things. not what I mean. If, as an editor, yes, I think that like mm-hmm. it like it should be. Uh, it's worthy of discussion because because um, the because the characters are known quantities. You mm-hmm. know, it's like someone who is some random fuckhead says some dumb racist shit. You know, it's like well, you know. Fucking tell the fucking other five people he plays Call of Duty with or something like who gives a fuck, you know? But like, yeah, I mean, like, it's certainly worthy of publications, I think, condemning him and stuff. But I'll say this, like, right now we wouldn't even, would an Austin promoter or someone promoting shows in Austin even book a Kanye um you know, Moody Center show or something like that, which obviously be Live Nation. Yeah, have you been and looking? Would you, would would I want to go cover it? You know, the answer is no. Have you been looking at listings for the upcoming year and how many Travis Scott shows are on that big company's yeah. festivals and events yeah. next year? Yeah. And we still haven't even covered, we're well, not covered, but they haven't even handled that whole 10 people dying and an ambulance being in the middle of the crowd and just the show going on. Yeah. That hasn't yeah. even been, that's been addressed, but it ain't done. It's the, the, He's on all kinds of shit. Yeah. They, Kanye, can, Kanye can get booked. R. Kelly, you know, me and Mark Fort tried to get them to, to not bring 
R. Kelly to campus. To campus, basically. right. Like a student, you know, you know, a university has like mm-hmm. the ultimate responsibility, you know, with that. That, that was. Yep. And it was just ridiculous. We're like, this is Austin too, man. Get the fuck out of here. But I knew that R. Kelly was, you know, uh, uh, a sexual predator and an abuser of women since, you know, I was in high school, right? Like since Jim DeRogatis broke those mm-hmm. bad news, right? In, in, uh, I was in Chicago then. Yeah, man. I mean, I feel like, I feel like that guy, some of the documentaries and coverage and stuff I've watched where it's like, doesn't mention his name. Like he put a lot of shit on the line to, you know, to that little dude, Jim, man, he's the bravest man in yeah. music journalism ever in history. Yeah. Brave. Yeah. And he lives in Chicago. Yeah. You yeah. kidding me? Yeah. But it's huge. I still went to the crazy, one of my first weeks of work, I went to the R Kelly mother's day show at some decommissioned strip club. That's still empty. I remember that. Did you go to it? No. It was but, one of the most bizarre. But he just kind of walked in or he, something. He played, uh, he did, uh, he came out, he did Ignition Remix, and then he did the very first line of Bump and Grind. The wireless mic blipped. He set it down, stopped. Everybody got left stage. Everybody got real mad. And then the promoter, who I can't remember his name now, but it was a small time promoter, you know, taking a big risk, obviously, like came out and like scolded the crowd, like y'all keep yelling, he's not gonna come back, right? You know, and like, and uh, and then he came back just to say, hey, I'm going over there to this VIP section, you know, like rush it. And I remember specifically him saying, I don't care if you weigh 500 pounds, if you have love for Kells, come see me. And it just created this dangerous situation of all the people there who paid like 40 bucks to see an appearance, not mm-hmm. a show, you know, like try to da, 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 da. And it was crazy. And, and me and my friend walked outside. Um, it was Chase Hoffberger, you know, Chase. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, we walk outside. I think I wanted to smoke a joint and like get out of there. Like, you know, and, uh, it was just minutes later after like him causing a stampede into VIP and people, everybody was still inside waiting for to see if he'd go on. Well, I saw him. He walked right past us, got into a Maybach. Mm-hmm. First time I ever seen a Maybach. Man, <laughs> I do remember that 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 appearance. And I, I do. Yeah, now I feel stupid that I co- not stupid, but I'm like, why did I cover that? Why wasn't I more discerning? You know, well, first of all, I was like a young person. I lived in a camper. I didn't know what you know what I mean. Like, I thought about just this is happening. It seems like it's gonna be weird. Let me tell the story. You know. No, I think that's fine. I think. uh it needed to be told. It needed to be exposed and people could see. I mean, that's what you said, regardless of who it is, like when I used to go to the club, like not uh-huh. the live music venue for shows, do you know how many experiences I had like that with like my hero rappers, favorite, they'd come out. This is the difference between when I was young and live music venues were not booking rap. Yeah. Tom Bunch started to, who was the manager of the butthole servers, among other things. Like in Houston, he had the Vatican and the, he had a couple kind of big venues that he started bringing the people like Ice T and Cypress Hill and stuff. Those guys kind of broke down the walls for getting it into the the venue venues with like sound engineers. But when I was 17, 18, 19 years old, going to see Tribe Called Quest or Ice Cube or whoever, Ghetto Boys, be in these clubs, man. And, you know, 
a lot of times the mic wouldn't work or they wouldn't put them on stage until two. And then the police would come in and shut it down. And it was just the worst. Like I've saw, I've seen so many of my favorite rappers back when I was young, do one or two songs and be out. Like there was, it was so common. It was like the opinion, we're just making an appearance. We're promoting our record. All right. Now let then me ask you, it moved into legitimate venues and, and I've seen in the 2000s, in the, in the last 15 to 20 years, especially the tour, like the rap tours and the actual professional stage, yeah, yeah, everything, yeah, yeah. man. Like, it's, you know, when I was young, there was also big tours like the Fresh Fest and this and that. That happened. But like when it came down to like community or going to like just a show show, it was a shit show. Let me ask you this as a fan from a concert girl perspective, what's worse the potential of seeing somebody get on stage at 150 and play for 10 minutes or the kind of tours where they're going to start on time. They're going to end on time. The set's going to be exactly the same for 40 dates. You know what I mean? Like yeah, exactly. Yeah, I do. There's a sterile, like there's something like, you know, when you go see a, uh, a show at certain venues and are a certain level of artists and, you know, a certain mm-hmm. level of management and promotion and stuff, you're like, oh man, like, you know, this is a fairly homogenized experience, yep. you know? So sometimes I like the chaos, you know, sometimes I like, sometimes the best stories that you tell your friends are, are the, are the shows that you didn't even, yeah, you didn't even get to see because it all was so fucked up, you know. So. No, I, I agree with that. I do. Uh, I've been disappointed many times with those little quick shows, but like, I know exactly what you mean, and I personally don't go to anything like that anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of venues that I'm just like, yeah, I'll. You know, it's I li- like we talked about where I live off in off like far west area. All the cool venues are like 20 miles south. Nine miles south, whatever. Yeah. You know, I mean, every the stuff that's happening down far out now is a little darling and deeper than that. Like, it's like, that's the kind of place I want to go see a show. I want to go to Kick Butt Coffee, which people make fun of, but... Terrible name. Terrible name. But when they have a show that's kind of cool, that's a great place to see it. You can yeah. park. And, sorry, but they're not a pay-to-play punk venue. Like, the young punks can go play. Yeah. You know, it is a space for young people to, and you want to go see, I mean, varying quality. It could be a great night. It could be a whack, who knows, but like they'll even book young rappers, mm-hmm. you know, like, so places like that. And, you know, I have not gone to the lost well in a minute, but I need to, you know, I mean, places like that, that are off the path. that are yeah, a little yeah. different where you're going to see a show. That's just not homogenized. Right. Right. So. I, yeah. I mean, you know, I've, uh, I'm at, next month running a ten. One of the bands I'm in ending a ten year residency at the Lost Well since the very first fucking month they were open. I love Lost Well. That's kind of my home. But my favorite venue right now is um, is Chess Club in the old plush space. Oh yeah, because they seem to be having like like you know fans that are in their first year of being a band but mm-hmm. are real good, you know, or like cool bands like heavy bands want to do a little bit of an underplay where like the room's real packed you know that's yeah, not easy action with mugger oh okay cool mugger's cool yeah mugger was cool and i liked being in there except i maybe it was a good thing but i like to drink you know and i couldn't get a beer yeah i was like one of those things where an old man the old man kicked in like <laughs> what the fuck i can't even get to the bar right but i mean but i also have many 
actually, I, I have some memories from back in the day of the parlor because I think I kind of had that same feel. I was like, damn, it's so like packed in here, and it's like when it was like a dance club uh-huh. between Blue Flamingo and Chess Club when it was the parlor. Okay, and it was people like Kid Slice and a lot of the guys who became Pelagrosa and all that. Like that was those were the guys holding that place down. Uh-huh. Wait, no, Plush. Why did I say the parlor? Parlor, yeah. Plush. Sorry. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Plush. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I um. But I also like going to the parlor on the Saturday. I think I'm too. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. And I have to work on this one. <clears throat> I have some work on Saturday and when USA Mexico and Blank Hellscape and then play. Sick, yeah. On That's Saturday. Sick, yeah. Little plug. Well, tell me, man, like you said, you know, you're a retired music journalist, but I want to talk about your beginnings because a lot of people kind of know this story. And the Austin legend, like, I have to say, Margaret Moser was one of those people. We talk about Alex Jones and Mike Judge. When I was living in Houston, but coming up here in the 80s, not 80s, 90s, early 90s, she was not She was not Alex Jones, but she was one of those figures, like almost mythical Austin figures of like, these are the people doing things. You yeah. know? And this is what's going on in Austin. This is how you find out what's going on in Austin. Right. These are the people, you know, like Austin Chronicle had a lot to do with that, but the, you know, were you really like discovered at a planet K? Yeah. And so <laughs> <laughs> that's my question. So I've leading up to that. So, okay. Yeah. So like leading up to that, like I wasn't even really like, I was barely qualified to work at the planet K. Like I had to convince them that I wasn't a gypsy, you know, mm-hmm. like, and not to use that as like an ethnic term, but that's what they, that's what they asked me because I lived in my girlfriend and I lived in our camper and we had been, traveling around in the camper for years and it didn't even seem like, uh, and I, she'd drive me to work and drop me off in a smelly mm-hmm. camper. I'd get out and they're like, you're not going to, we're not going to give you a job. You're just going to go to a different town or whatever, you know? So I was like, not qualified as a journalist, but I was barely qualified to sell fucking butt plugs and fucking, uh, <laughs> and, uh, four inch glass stems and you know, everything. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so, but I always read, you know, I've all, when we were, Whenever I was traveling around and we were, you know, living on a a budget of what money we could make at medical, um, doing medical experiments or whatever, you know? People don't know how big that was here. Dude. I don't know if it still is, but this it was big. This is part of the reason we stayed in Austin. I would go, <laughs> there, I would have like five going at a time, you know what I mean? But there used to be a website back in the day called Just Another Lab Rat, which was yep. like a national thing. And people were like, oh, we would go like, shit, man, there's one in Arizona that pays $7,000. Like, let's go. You know what I mean? Like, where you have to stay in there for two weeks or whatever. Man. You know? But then you have money to travel for you yeah. know, whatever. So off that and then doing Labor Ready too, which do you remember Labor Ready? Yeah. I don't know if it still exists. That's where you like show up at like five in the morning and sit around for however many hours until like they find they, you know, need a job done, right? So sometimes it's like liquidating a wet mattress warehouse or like digging, uh, a, you know, I dug a NASCAR track in Arizona, you know, and stuff Man. like that, right? Like, yeah. and then you get paid like the lowest amount of money because it's minimum wage. And then they take out like the gas of where they drove you in the van or whatever, you know, and you're wearing rubber boots that don't fit you right and all that mm-hmm. kind of stupid shit. So like, Anyway, blah, 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 blah. My qualifications were very low, but we always read the alt weeklies when we go to town because they're free. 
They would have stuff to do, like events, or like you'd mm-hmm. figure out what cool shit to do. So when we got to Austin, I'd read that, and I'd read. I was like, oh, like my, you know, Raul, who became my my boss and is kind of a father figure to me. I would read him and be like, this guy's like really smart, and it's almost like his writing was like art, you know, or something. But then I'd read mm-hmm. Margaret and be like, oh, like this person, you know, has a very a specific voice, like that I relate to and I can write in this way and da, 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 da. And then she was coming into planet K because it was on, I think she was on like, uh, like the, the, the pop art museum thing that was connected to the cultural art museum that was connected to it. She might've been on a board or something like that. She would, so she would be there like once a month or something and, and, or, or, and come in and I would bug her and be like, you know, yo, like I'd put on cool music, you know, like mm-hmm. something that I knew she listened to or something like, you know, 80s Austin punk or something like that. Right. Or, or I remember putting on Bloodstains Across Texas, that comp, which is mm-hmm. a fucking awesome comp, you know, just trying to like get her attention. Like, oh, play this, oh, me, you know, whatever. Yep. And, uh, and try to help her out. And I was like, talk to her about things that she had written, you know, like, Oh, I liked your da 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 da. And, um, yeah. And, and then she, she totally gave me a chance, uh, in a way where, you know, I had the enthusiasm and like, I'm, I'd always been writing. I'd never been published, you know, but like no one, would give this person a chance. And mm-hmm. she did, which is still amazing to me and completely changed the course of my life, you know? Yeah. Completely changed the course of my life and was fucking very like supportive of me and and uh kinda helped me with anything I ever needed, you know. And then when she was dying, mm-hmm. I helped her out by selling her weed at cost, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Man, but that's an amazing story. I love it because as many people as there's people like her out there, but there's a lot who want, they don't give a shit to help you to bring you into the fold. They're scared that you're going to take their spot right, or whatever. And then you get somebody who really cares. And it's also reminiscent of like old Austin, where when you came in, if you fit in, if you got in and you got in, man, like it was such a cool, tight community of people that was so valuable. Like it was the most valuable. There wasn't a lot of shit here, but cool people, a cool scene. Back in the day. Yeah. And you would get into this little world and it was just come from Houston to here. It was like as close as they are, they're really not that far away and they're so different. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of crossover. And I think everybody, people in Austin could go, could stand to go get their ass kicked in Houston a little bit. And people in Houston need to come here and get some nature in their life and calm down, you know, but the two, the places work hand in hand, but it used to be such a thing for me to come up here so, so I think we've both worked, you know, in the periphery of the music industry, right? Mm-hmm. Like industry implies people yep. make money, right? So that's yep. why I say we're on the periphery. Because um, I don't think either of us ever made any money, you know? Not much, no. <laughs> uh, but like, um, to me, you know, so, so you, hear, you, you hear people talk about like, well, Austin's not really a music city because... You can't like. There's not like paths, the right stepping stones to um, mainstream success and financial success necessarily mm-hmm. in place, right? Like the 
in in terms of uh, music industry mechanisms and and the jobs that facilitate that. But to me, I'm always like, oh, oh, cool. Is that is that what it's about for you? Like, I find that hard to relate to. I've always, you know, I've always been into music for friends and experiences, you mm-hmm. know. And Austin still provides that. It's like you fucking. I would encourage anyone to like. It's like if you don't have like, you know, if 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 you want, you know, a rich fucking social life. If you just go to shows in Austin and start your own band and do that thing, go to shows like five nights a week, you will make a bunch of friends who are super interesting and change your life and tell you about other cool shit you can check out. And it's like that to me, that promise of Austin still stands, you know? I mean, it's the live music capital of the world. That's the very specific thing where it's live music and you can go to shows and it's it's everywhere. It's undeniable. There's places it's, you know, good and bad, but lots of good and lots of independence. Like, I don't enjoy Nashville, you know. Nashville's where it's happening. You want to go be a cheesy singer-songwriter that might make a million dollars because Taylor Swift recorded your song or whoever, then fine. Yeah. But there's also a million other people trying for that dollar as well. And it's a whole different scene. It's a whole different feeling, a whole different vibe when it's an industry town. Like in New York, there's been a lot of great stuff that's come out of New York. But if you go really hang out in New York, you know how much shit there is? Because it's people who are like really trying to make it. <clears throat> yeah, or like yeah. LA, they're like, really? We're going to make it? Right, right, <laughs> you know, right. there's like, okay. Now, of course, and there's scenes in New York and LA that are super cool. Of course. But if you really dive into that, it's like, oh, God. But yeah. even with Austin changing, it's like, we don't have to get on a subway with a Fender Twin. Yeah. And in L.A., as opposed to L.A., we don't have to drive an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. Not that it's that far, but the traffic to your practice space. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like in Austin, it's like you can find a practice space right by your house or just practice in your house, you know, or something like that. So we do still have it easier than those places. Oh, yeah. And I know that because I have friends from those cities who come here all the time. You know what I mean? And I've one of my best friends from the Bay area, you know, and he's a huge music head and we, he comes here all the time and he's just like Austin, like the, the amount of cool bands that are like happening all the, on any night of the week is, you know, for, for, for heavy music and, Mm -hmm. you know, experimental shit. I just can't get over the loss of Tamale House still to this day. (laughs) I can't deal, man. It's it's really, that was the moment that really uh, took me out. But I hear what you're saying. But I do feel like it's like a lot of places, you know, you can go to Amsterdam and end up at the Bulldog, which is the most commercial coffee shop. Uh, and it's yeah, not yeah, that yeah. great. Or you have somebody there. It's like, nah, man, come on. We're going to go down this little street and you're going right, to go to the right. greatest place you've ever sat and smoked a joint. Yeah. Like you got to know here in Austin at this point. And I think that's what has changed. Like, okay, sorry, but with the pa- <clears throat> With the parish being closed, how much original music is really happening on the, the traditional side of 6th Street? Flamingo, Flamingo Cantina. Cantina. That's it, really. I mean, and there's little yeah, things yeah. that pop up here yeah, and there, yeah, yeah. but for, the most, for part, the most part, it's, Flam- it's Bourbon Street. Flamingo Cantina deserves so much more credit. than Oh, it deserves gets, a right? lot of credit. I'm trying to get Angela on here, actually. Yeah. she's Because yeah. she's got so much history and done so much, and the I, I, that place needs to survive, you know, forever. Yeah. But, uh... And, and, but when I got here, and I, I don't know if this is probably not interesting to most people, but in a historical perspective, it's like, I remember one of my, you know, emos on the corner there. Mm-hmm. It was different because it was like so, 
music was so sent underground music was very centralized there. Mm -hmm. It felt like, you know what I mean? You're just like, what's going on at emos. Okay, let's go. You know, mm -hmm. like whether it was a touring band or a local band, you know, and it's like, it's not really like that anymore, you know, but, um, I got to play the old emos. The, I'm like, for whatever reason, one of my bands on the, the poster of the last week of, of the old emos. Wow. You know? Cause we we're, cause we we're, uh, fuck emos liked us, Russell, you know, and he's like, you want to open for us? And then it became the last week of the club. So they put man or Astro man on the bill with us. And Damn. then all of a sudden the tickets all sold out instantly and none of our friends could come see us play, you know, oh, man. <laughs> but, uh, but you know, it's amazing to play uh legendary spot to a packed house or whatever, you know, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I think of that as like, that's kind of the era I barely I barely caught, but mm -hmm. I, but was I that, do know. Oh, like nine, ten. Yeah, oh, eight, like, yeah, I think I got here in like, oh, eight, you know, I think yeah. it closed and like, you know, I, I, mm -hmm. I enjoyed it for a couple of years. You know right. what I mean? Um, did you know that there was a Houston emos back in the day? Yeah. Yeah. I never experienced it, but I turned yeah. 21 at emos. Did you? At a mule show. Oh, like nice. at midnight that night oh. I turned 21. Yeah. And back in the day, all those shows from Green Day to Laughing Hyenas to any band you could name, The Unsane and Jesus Lizard, those shows were free for 21 and up and five bucks were under 21. Wow. At both the emos. Shout out to Eric Hartman. What's up? Yeah. The original owner. Right. That was a, and emos in Houston had a sidebar called Some that was the after hours spot. And I didn't really go to, I'd been in there before, but it was more, it was very much ecstasy raver type <clears throat> hangout. Bushwick would go there. Bushwick Bill would show up at some randomly before his notorious, you know, Austin appearances everywhere. You know, like this right. is, you know, the 90s. And, uh, but yeah, Emos was a force. Yeah. You know, back then. But, you know, so things are still happening. But you just, you have to find it. You have to find the cool pockets. Where is it at? You know, and yeah. I personally don't feel like at this point, most cities don't have an entertainment district. Right. Some do. But most people, if, if you're in, a, if you're most of these, if you have a one venue that'll book some punk shows or something cool, you're you know lucky because lots of places don't. Yeah, and if you and, go on tour, you know that. Yeah, you know what I mean. That's the thing most people. But like, here, it's like yeah. you just have to know where the things are happening. Like I have teenagers and, and like a twenty year old, and I'm always like, I'm not gonna go because I don't want to cramp their style. But I'm finding out about you know where the house shows are and this little venue that you know, ask a punk type things and yeah, things yeah. like that. Like, it's kind of funny to, to see in 2022 that like I'm old and I can be like six street sucks. But then I'm like, but the kids are still finding it. They're still doing it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the craziest, one of the craziest shit shows that I ever went to on six street was, uh, was Migos during Texas relays at, I think what is now um, um, Vulcan Gas Company or whatever. Okay. You know, Vulcan. Um, and it was like their first record, or maybe their first record didn't come out, but like the, the mixtape was out or something. You know, they had songs mm -hmm. out. Rolling Stone had written about them. Like it was very clear that they were about to be the biggest thing in, in rap music. And uh, I was excited to see it. And uh, I went there and uh, it was like, People had pre-sold tickets, and then there was just, like, two huge dudes at the door, like, nah, fuck tickets, like, 
$40 cash, the only way you get in. All these people are like, well, I already paid. Okay, fine, you know? And, uh, mm-hmm. and there was somebody throwing, someone from their crew is throwing dollar bills down from the, like, the high up balcony, mm-hmm. which made people kind of, like, fight over money while they are playing us. It was so great. I, you know. Yeah. It was a shit show, man. Yeah, you don't you don't get to have very many cool music experiences on on Sixth Street, but you but you know if you're um I, you know I kind of think of it as a place like if you're from Boise and you're here for a conference and you want to go. Yeah, it's fine. I mean, not everybody's looking for the punk club. Or <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Ask a punk, but yeah. I don't know if you knew in the '90s Vulcan Gas Club Company uh, that building. Um, was Catfish Station, which was the only black-owned club on Sixth Street back in like in the '90s. And man, this dude Homer booked—he <clears throat> ran the place. And he had the Roots before people really knew. Wow. He had uh, like Black Moon, Smith and Wesson, the, like lots of stuff like the Alcoholics type shows like yeah, that. Yeah, he also yeah. had like Roy Ayers. Wow. Like it was the spot spot. That's cool. And you know the local DJs would you know have their club nights there. It was like the one spot. Yeah. Back in the day. Yeah. Well, the first time I came to Austin, I was uh, my friend and I hitchhiked here, and I went to the very first show I went to in Austin was on Sixth Street. It was a place called the Mercury. Yeah, the Mercury became the Parish. Okay, yeah, yeah, it was upstairs. Yeah, 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 um, yeah, yeah. So you know, but yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think it's fair. It's I, the the uh, Sixth Street is definitely over. It's being Stream Realty has acquired like over 60% of it. It's going to be like upscale kind of thing, you know? Mm-hmm. We The only reason we own a house in Austin is because of Sixth Street, because my girlfriend bartended at all the big shop bars there. You know oh, what I mean? Man. And made like crazy money, mm-hmm. you know? Literally. So like, and I spent every New Year's night on Sixth Street because she was working, you know what I mean? So it's like, I spent a lot of time on Sixth Street, but I think we can all agree it sucks. Yeah, it's changed, but there's still plenty of cool... <laughs> cool shit here yeah where'd you come from where are you from i'm from uh i'm from a a town of i think current population is about 1500 people it's called east jordan michigan it's in northern michigan which is the top of the lower peninsula and not the up okay um and then so to go to see punk shows at st andrews hall in detroit or clutch cargoes in pontiac or Harpo's, if you want to fucking want to see Guar or something like that, mm-hmm. was about a seven and a half hour drive, you know. And we did that throughout high school. And then when I was seventeen, we moved to Lansing, where a lot of my family lives, and where my where my girlfriend is from. And um, you know, played in you know, played in bands. I was playing bands in, I was playing you know in bands in in my little you know, town, you know, and up north where you just go to a different, find mm-hmm. one other band and rent out a, a Knights of Columbus Hall or a, VF, a VFW Hall, you mm-hmm. know, do those. But then moving to Lansing, we had, um, we had Max Bar, which was like, uh, you know, had every kind of band that you would ever imagine to see in a 300 cap club, you know. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, my girlfriend worked there. I played there and we got to see every fucking, you know, see so many fucking you know, legends, people who became legends or people who used to be legends or, you know, mm-hmm. whatever and, and all that shit. And then we, I got, uh, I got, um, 
I was working as a night auditor at, or I got a degree, I got a degree in journalism and ethnomusicology at the university, and I was working as a night auditor at a shitty hotel and got beat up, like pistol whipped, real bad, gun in your mouth, like eight an eight minute fucking beat down, like changed the way my face. Wait, where was this? In Lansing. Oof. And yeah, and we left like that week. I remember like they put my name in the paper. Only one of the four dudes had been arrested. Like cause everyone jumped out of the car and I was like, I'm going to get fucking murdered now. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like all they have to do is look in the fucking Lansing state journal. fucking Oof. see this guy who's the fucking witness to them fucking robbing a fucking hotel, you know? And, uh, and I know it was on June 22nd. It was my mom's fucking birthday. Cause I had a fucking gun in my mouth. Like I'm going to get my head blown off on my mom's fucking birthday, you know? And, uh, yes. and we, we fucking, uh, bought a broken down ass Toyota 1984 camper for like $2,000 and fucking mm -hmm. took off, you know? So, Man, that's amazing. That's, yeah. I had no idea. Actually. Yeah. yeah. That's but, wild. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> Cause I was just going to say, man, the nomadic lifestyle sounds so cool to me and, I do. It is cool to me, but if that's what set it off, that is wild. It was totally worth it. No regrets. Yeah. And like we, we, you know, I, th I think that I learned how to, you know, cause I'd already hitchhiked across the country two times before this, right? Like my friends were all kind of train hopper type kids, but mm -hmm. I was grossed out by the people condition kind of things. You know what I mean? I don't like, uh, I don't like having, uh, freezing in a metal box. Yeah. Or like fucking walking in sweaty black tight jeans till my legs are chafed. you know what I mean? It's just mm -hmm. like, there's a lot of fucking misery. Only good if you're like getting so drunk all the time. Right. So like me and a couple of my friends were really into hitchhiking and really ambitious with it. And between that and the camper stuff, I think we all learned how to talk to people and relate to people, especially with hitchhiking where you have to be a conversationalist to like stay in the fucking car, basically, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Or at least return the favor of someone fucking driving you somewhere and hoping that the fourth grade teacher who just picked you up is going to have a fucking bowl of weed and smoke with you, you know, things mm -hmm. are cool or whatever. So I think I learned how to um, communicate with people in a way by doing that stuff and the camper stuff where you're kind of getting by under wits that mostly informed like the journalism work and the storytelling work that I did thereafter. Man, exactly. I, mean, that, <clears throat> I didn't go to college. I hit the road uh -huh. and just started booking bands and trying to book tours for a band from Erie. And just, we lived in the van. That was the best part. The best part of my life. We loved, you know, getting up, going to the next city. We were in messed up vans too. Right. Right. You know, but somehow we made it, and, you know? Right. And and you learn so much from dealing with those people and communicating and traveling and seeing what it's like in Mobile, Alabama. Yeah. Or whatever. Yeah. Places you wouldn't just go. Yeah. We were in Mobile for uh, some parade thing. I don't know if it was Mardi Gras or something. Mm -hmm. It was amazing. You know what I mean? But they throw moon pies, the candy, or mm -hmm. the, the, yeah, the whatever. Like the, the cake. The cake, yeah. yeah. Off all the floats. And our camp, we just collected all of them and ate moon pies in our... Man, you know that's I mean? some tour shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, but so you know, that's like, I mean, it's the same thing with like being on tour or like traveling, it's all the same. It's like, 
your quality of experience and your survival is so much hinging on the kindness of strangers. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have like social skills or something, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to get those, you know? And then you have to coexist with family members and other people who never <laughs> went anywhere. And they look at you like you're nuts and you're like, uh, I've been, I said, um, <clears throat> once I said to a family member, we were having a conversation about traveling and she was like, there's no way I would go there. I'm not doing that. And she said something like, isn't that place really dangerous? And I said, no place is really dangerous. Every place is also really dangerous and no place is really dangerous. Anything can happen anywhere. You don't know. And I mean, like I've been in situations that van don't get parked at the Hilton. You know what I mean? Like Like you're in like, and you can't, Leave that van alone. You got to stay in it. Somebody's got to stay in the van. Yeah. You know, and things like this. It's like, and you just learn and live. You get out there on, and the road is like, is the best thing. Travel is the best thing for anyone, I it, think. Any uh, person. So maybe you could, maybe you could tell me if you have much more experience in this category, but so I have a, I just had my second kid, but my first kid is a little older than two and a half. When we travel, his brain wakes up. That's like the biggest jumps in development mm-hmm. are when we go to different places and are around different people. So I don't know if you found that to be true too with, with yes. children, right? Big time. But does that really stop when you're fucking, when you're a child or is it like kind of like that through our whole lives and we just don't do it enough? Man, my kids wander lust is crazy. They want to go everywhere and we've gone all over the place, you know, like what, as crazy, you know, my father moved to Houston when I was a kid. That's what got me to Texas. Okay. I'm from Erie, Pennsylvania originally. Right. And uh, I'll be back and forth. And my mother is still in, in Erie. Mm-hmm. So every summer, and it would usually just be me and the kids, and their mother would come meet us for part of the trip. But every summer we would drive there. Yeah. And sometimes we would go through Chicago. Um, right. Twice we, you know, Toronto's like three hours from Erie. We'd drive there. You know, right, or we right, go to Nashville or Memphis. And we, we, that was a, like a tradition. Like, even back when they were, you know, just coming up to Austin or San Antonio from Houston or to anywhere, they were always so open to, you know, if you grew up, if you're four or five years old in Houston, and then all of a sudden one day you walk into Barton Springs, that's yeah. an eye opening. That's like, what is this? Dude. You know, and it's the most amazing thing as a parent to see too, to watch them, their eyes just open up and, it's so excited. So Erie is like, <laughs> Erie is like, not like the, I mean, it's a, it's that it's, top corner of Pennsylvania. Yeah, it's yeah, that it's, top little triangle. It's closer to, it's way closer to Cleveland than Philadelphia. Oh yeah. Way closer. Right? Two hours from Cleveland, Pittsburgh or Buffalo. Right. It's more. Okay. Maybe even a little less Cleveland. It's less more, than two hours. It's Cleveland, more, Pitt, mid, it's yeah. more the Midwest. Well, this is what I say. <clears throat> Would you consider Buffalo East coast or Midwest? I would consider, in terms of sensibilities, or, or you know, I, I mean, I think Buffalo is a working class kind of. I think Buffalo is more East Coast, uh, and Cleveland is more Midwest. Yeah, and Maybe. Erie's right in the middle, so okay. it walks the line between the two. Yeah, like put it this way, everyone in Erie was into all the East Coast hip hop and things that anyone would be into. But I then, thought you were going to say OxyContin. That was I'm I'm way older that's than later, Oxycontin. That's later. That's later. That's later. Okay. And I don't even. They probably can't get oxy's in here. They get way worse. <laughs> but um, 
the uh but when like bone thugs and that midwest style of rap yeah, yeah, started yeah. happening and you know that sort of, that sort of easy e and that sort of thing started happening like that really took over for sure so yeah it kind of is i feel like i grew up in the middle of both yeah cuz the architecture even in cleveland and buffalo are different it's a little more east coasty in buffalo and more ranch homes and stuff in cleveland yeah and there's both but i mean so we're kind of like right in the middle of that yeah but that I uh and then today like thinking about how I escaped it as quickly as possible and I'm looking back like damn man I live in Austin it's cool but the closest cool city that's not Texas is Monterey Mexico really it's closer than New Orleans it's cooler than uh Little Rock right right <laughs> I actually right. like Tulsa Parts of it, you know, there's some yeah. shit in Tulsa, yeah. and we went to Oklahoma City for the Canacon, and I think Tulsa's kind of cooler architecture-wise, and there's some shit. But like, you know, I mean, where are you gonna go? Like, I like, I think about growing up there, and I think that's where the touring stuff came from. I mean, like, it was easy to drive to New York, you know, yeah. or Philadelphia or Chicago. That was our six-hour trip, right? Seven, you know. Yeah. And here it's like, oh, jeez. But uh, yeah. No, that was, and then so it's speaking of the kids, like. What trips me out is things they remember from when they were young. They're like, oh, I remember when we went through Memphis and that guy was, da, 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 or, you know. Yeah. It's so cool. Yeah. It's the best thing you can do, I mean, for anybody. I think your education, think about the pro- what we what we started with today. We're talking about Kanye West and racists and uh-huh. people being small-minded with uh you know, looking at whole groups of people and being afraid of them or hating them. Right. When you live in one place and don't ever go anywhere and don't know what's going on anywhere. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. But like when you go out and you're forced to interact with people or like I grew up in a neighborhood that was black and white. Uh-huh. It wasn't a milk toast neighborhood, right. but it also wasn't the South Bronx, uh-huh. you know, I got to experience a lot of different people. I'm not afraid of people. Right. You know, but there's a lot of people out there who just play on that and live off that fear. Yeah. And they wouldn't get in a van that's, that's what, what do you call it, when it backfiring yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> in a tunnel in New Jersey. And it sounds like you just blew up the whole thing. Right. And you're like terrified, like, oh, we're going to make it. Oh, my God. And then right. you do. And you do make it and everything's cool. And then you learn how to fix these things. And also now kids don't. I mean, another reason I would encourage my kids or kids to do that is because now you don't have to worry about like getting arrested as much. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I don't know. You know, well, with weed. Yeah. With weed. That's yeah. what I mean. It's just like, it's that's just true. Like, it just used to be, that used to be such a prominent concern in, in my daily life. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, I was always on probation. Really? I was a, yeah, I was like, just kind of, yeah. I remember, yeah, me and my brother were both just always on probation. I mean, just kind of like for like a probably like six year stretch, just like Man. violated <laughs> again, you know what I mean, or whatever. But, but like, Man, I was always the tour dad. Okay. I was like, you're not having that shit in the car. Right. Get That's out of smart. here. No, That's for real. Smart. Like, yeah. I've always have been like that. Like, we aren't getting arrested. Yeah. We can get weed at the club at the show. Right, we'll right, figure right. this out or whatever. And also, you know, the early days when I was like 17, 18, when we were touring, it wasn't. We didn't have money for weed mm-hmm. at that time, you know, yeah. and then, but like, you know, I tour with rappers 
you know, in Europe and things. I toured with Devin the Dude, who's the biggest weed rapper. Yeah, yeah. But fortunately for him, it's there on arrival. There's somebody waiting to smoke with him. Yeah. Immediately. So it's not a big deal. We don't have to deal with that. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I'm always that guy that's like, you know, hey, free Britney Griner. I don't want anyone in this whole world to be in jail for marijuana on any level whatsoever. But don't fucking cross the Canadian border with weed, you know, in a totally legal country. Just don't do it. Yeah. It's not okay. Those Nazis at the border are going to fucking look at you, know that you're stoned, and tear your whole car up. I got arrested at that place in Texas. I think it's called El Paso. Sierra Blanca. Yeah, by El Paso. Where everyone gets arrested, where like everyone. Willie got arrested, yeah. Snoop Dogg, and Fiona Apple, and like you know, it's like uh, I was asleep in the car, you know what I mean, and just woke up to you know, just like, uh, oh shit, they you know they're gonna search us, and it's just like, oh my god, you know, and I got arrested there. I was like, Man. I was like, I'll I'll take uh, my record's ruined, and I don't have any value over it, you know what I mean, just like. I'll take the heat of y'all pay for it, you know, kind of thing. And it turned out to be so much worse than I thought. Cause there was a, someone had a quarter of a Xanax bar. So it was like a little <sighs> square, you know, and uh, yeah, it just turned into a big thing. You know, they, after they, they flipped through a uh, big binder of laminated photos of pills and they couldn't figure out what it was. Cause it wasn't a whole Xanax <sighs> until, and I thought I was in the clear until one border patrol agent came in and was like, what are you talking about? That's just a, a square of a Xanax. And I was like, I'm fine, you know. But, but it was, but it was, it was, yeah. It was also paraphernalia and possession of weed. Like, it's like they really throw the oh, throw yeah. the book at you. And I was like, I think I'm smarter than that. But I didn't know that stop was coming up, and I was asleep in a car. You exactly. know what I mean? No, so see, like, I, I, I'll tell if I'd have known you, I'd have told you the route. Yeah, yeah, For right. Real. I yeah. know how to get around that bullshit because that's some bullshit. You did not. You didn't come from Mexico. Right. You didn't cross we a border. We're coming from California. You didn't cross a border. Right. There's no reason for you to go through a fucking checkpoint. Right. If you're going through a checkpoint and they're looking for something, if there's not illegals or whatever the hell, you know, like, what are they doing? They're really tearing up American citizens. They are tearing up American citizens' cars because they're driving in America. They didn't cross the border. Yeah. We didn't That's- come from Mexico, dude. So there's no, this is why am I showing you anything? And they really tear up your car. They too. tear your whole car up. Like they, fuck like that place. Like, man. yeah, they have no, like, they, I mean, they will, <clears throat> they will fucking break aspects of your car to look mm-hmm. for fucking things, you know? Man, I've been in, in the checkpoint cause they're all the checkpoints are about 60 miles from the border. Uh-huh. So if you go to Sao Padre, you have to go through a checkpoint. Or if you go to Laredo, you go through a checkpoint. Yeah. They're about 60 miles north. And I was with, you know, my the kids and their mother in a very, like, like a Mazda or something, 626 or whatever. And they did not tear the whole car up. There were two little girls in the car, us. But, I mean, we had to sit there while the dog went all around everything. They had the mirrors underneath. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They opened up everything, the trunks. They looked in the, the suitcases. They looked in this side. I'm like, yo, we didn't. We're not, we're, we went to South Padre Island. That's still America. Yeah. Tough, crazy. What are you doing? Yeah. I mean, that's and, where it is. Though. And maybe this, maybe that whole situation is part of the reason why uh, Texas is so, you know, far behind the rest of the, uh, you know, uh, the now vast majority of the states with, with, uh, with weed, with cannabis. Yeah. Uh, 
which, you know, I mean, that's probably, you know, going to be something I like, I'm probably going to focus on cannabis journalism, you know, going forward because I want to be positioned to be in a, you know, profitable fucking space when Texas does, you know, or like have a job. Someone want to give me a job, right? You, mm-hmm. you know, I think that a lot of us, you know, it's like, it's like, I see, I know a lot of, you know, Michigan is, has been legal for a while, you yeah. know, and it's like, they don't, you know, a lot of those, there's a lot of issues that you go through, you know, like, like people who are cops and stuff getting these uh, permits and stuff like that. And it's like, you don't get any credits for having been in the game. You don't get any mm-hmm. credits for having like been fucking handcuffed in the back of a cop car 15 times, you know, over fucking over a naturally growing plant that makes people less stressed out, you know, mm-hmm. but you know, you know, I think that Texas can't go on like this forever. So, you know, hopefully if I can be, you know, I do, I do think that that's going to be something that, you know, an area of focus going forward is like, if I fucking, if I can, kind of make that my beat and, and, you know, you know, turn my real world experience into, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> into something. I don't know. I'm, I, I'm also acutely aware that there's probably a half a million people in Texas saying the exact same thing, you know? I uh, know, man, please do, do the work. That's fine. I'm thinking about the same thing. Like, where does this all fit in? Because it's really stupid that, States that I I would think in a lot of ways Arkansas and Oklahoma are more backwards than us in certain ways, and that they definitely don't have some of the resources we have here, and they're legal. They're you know New Mexico full is recreational. Right. Mexico has pretty much decriminalized everything to an extent, right? Like and so we're surrounded in Louisiana too. So we're totally every state we touch right. is at the very least medical. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make any sense and. What makes even less sense is there's chemically altered substances being sold. You can buy big green buds in the convenience at a fucking gas station. Yeah. You can buy vape. There's a gas station right over here. They got so much vape shit in there. Like Delta, Delta, this Delta, that THC, this, this, that, like things. I don't even like, I try to stay up on some of these things. And sometimes I'm looking at these packages. Like, what is this? Yeah. Why is this here? Yeah. Why is this okay? Like when, there's just there's weed, we, there's but weed. we can't have weed. Yeah, <laughs> but we can have this other weed. And yeah, and we're at the point with weed where, like, you know, mm. I know what the effects smoking weed all the time for for uh, for fifty years is. It's my parents. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They're fine. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like it's like it's been around. Like we been around. You know, it, the the genuine article is is the best thing you know mm-hmm. but um but, but yeah. seriously though you can buy all this crazy shit now and so who are the kids getting these gummies i had some delta 8 gummies when i didn't even know exactly what it was i was in um i was in st louis actually during the freeze here i was i was not i was driving back to texas and i stopped at my sister's because we knew we heard about what was going on here, so we didn't come back to Texas till that was over. And we took a walk around, you know, the university area and stuff in St. Louis, went to the art museum, and there's all these like shops 
that had these signs like with the delta symbol eight Mm -hmm. thc this and i was like what is this you know i had no idea and uh my sister got me some gummies and i started reading up on it they're like it's a weaker form of weed that's just like one molecule blah 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 man so i ate like three gummies thinking oh everything i'm reading says just weaker weeds let's see what's up man i was like paranoid yeah Seriously, I was like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. Delta- so you can't sell weed, but you can sell whatever this is. It's got me not tripping, but like yeah, yeah. not feeling great. Yeah. It's it's weed's weird cousin. Yeah. They just showed up and he's from you know, out of town. And, and if that's like, the route that takes to get it, you know, if that's what we gotta deal with for now to get to the, the real deal, but it's uh I'll say this too, no matter what state you're talking about, this this is not what I pictured legalization to look like. No. But, you know, Joe Biden, you know, if you're listening to this, you know, no one uh, who is liberal, you know, wants to uh, support you um, or is excited about supporting you in another general election. But if you federally legalize marijuana, you know, two months before the election, you got my vote. Joe Biden was America's first drug czar. I, I do not think he has credibility on the issue. I'm it just sucks. thinking strategic, like, like, you know, strategic. It, how it, can when in relation to what we need to happen with marijuana, it's, it's about as bad as it can be. Yeah. You know, with him and let's have hope. We'll see who knows. Maybe something will change, but it's true. Like this is a, this is a real joke. Yeah. It's a real joke to be surrounded by Arkansas and Oklahoma places like this. Man, we went to Canacon in Oklahoma, going in some of these grow ops. We had some friends that were just taking us into these places. We're like, this is this is this is big business. And high tech. This is wild, man. Y'all are just doing it in Oklahoma. And we're losing Austinites to Oklahoma yeah. who are running the concentrate labs and stuff like that because they can't fuck with it here, you know? Yep. Um, yeah. So step it up, Texas. But you know, I mean I think that, I think that a lot, you know, it, it's politics and the, um, as long as, you know, it's kind of a, um, Greg Abbott, Dan Patrick scenario, we're not going to have, um, I, I, I'm hope, you know, I think federal is, is more of a possibility rather than Texas doing it itself, you know, but I mean, obviously, I mean, for sure. Yeah. So. Uh, and open up the liquor stores on Sunday, man. Come on. And. All that. And that's another thing with traveling. The liquor stores are so different everywhere. But like. Everywhere. A lot of states you can just buy liquor in gas grocery stations store, and grocery stores. Thing, yeah, you know? exactly. Maybe they put a a black, like, don't steal, black plastic, don't steal thing over the top. But you can just grab it all. You know what I mean? It's like. Mm-hmm. It's very. It's very different. You know? It's like. It's man. Like, no, I remember my first trips to New Orleans in the early 90s and walking into Walgreens like, what? <laughs> but the, uh, yeah, no, that's just another thing. And it's the weirdest thing about the puritanical bullshit that still stands to this day. Like, we're such a business-friendly state. Yeah. That's what we're famous for. Texas is business-friendly. Come here and start your business. We're yeah. going to make business. And one, there's an entire industry that's banned. And two, if you were a liquor store owner, you're told by the government that you are not allowed to be open for an entire day. 
Yeah. And you have to close at this time every single day. Yeah. Get the fuck out of here. Crazy. When I was a kid, though, you weren't, you weren't coming here in the 80s when they could only sell food. Maybe clothes. I don't think clothes even at a certain point because I remember going to like Fiesta in Houston and like or grocery stores and they would have whole sections roped off. On Sunday? Yeah, not just beer and wine and stuff. Like whole, like if it was like, you know, because Fiesta sells like cowboy hats and boots and things like that. Like that whole section would be like sectioned off and they call it was the blue laws. And on Sundays, you could basically only buy food. Wow. This is the early 80s, and coming from Pennsylvania, it was really foreign. I had no idea, mm. you know, about that. So, well, we got past that in 40 years or whatever. Maybe. Yeah. It shouldn't take that long, man. No, it shouldn't. Feeling feel a little impatient. Yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's definitely, I feel impatient. It doesn't make sense. And it makes even less sense when I can go to the gas station and buy me a vape right now. Yeah. God knows what. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, we should have walked down there and got Delta Eight and done this podcast. On it, you know, <laughs> maybe we can. Maybe we, we can, can do it. one later. We can do rate yeah. the eights. Yeah, rate the eights. This is the rate know? the eight podcast, and uh, we die. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Our lungs uh, just this, melt. This one's making me feel uh, slightly uh, sickly and confused. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can't talk about this anymore, man. <laughs> I gotta get off, man. I gotta. Me, uh, I have the spins. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. This is, yeah, no. And let's not even get into how all these amazing weeds they have around the world. And I still don't get as high as I used to and off some Mexican dirt weed when I was yeah. like 18 and smoke one bowl. Yeah. I'd be what laughing for like six hours. What was that? Yeah. I don't know. I think, well, I mean, definitely tolerance levels have gone up and all this. But I think, I also think like if I were totally in charge of this, and I mean, you know, I'm not. But if I were the supreme ruler, uh, I'd be like, "All right, kids, this is your section over here. You can get the you can get this good good compressed Mexican weed right here. You're gonna start just like we did on this. You don't need to be starting with the fucking yeah extremely crystallized white or whatever. Or you don't need to be starting with ex- rosin. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like you don't really need to be starting with like you know dabbing and let's get you started on on a nice pace here. I can't imagine." I know how, it, you know, the first time I took a, a dab, I had no idea that it was going to do that. That yeah. I was going to be like, whoa. Like, right, you know, right. I can't imagine being like, yeah, you want to try some some dab, dude? Like, what's dab, dude? Dude. Yeah, I, <laughs> like 18, 16. Yeah, I never, you ever smoke weed? No, nah, dude. Let me try it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fuck yeah. that. No. I remember the last. Uh, I'd be regular. That's how I would regulate it. Yeah. That's smart. Yeah, there needs to be some uh, some some informational public service thing about about dabs because, like, first of all, there's like, I've you know, you know, when someone's like, you know, got their whole rig and and a and a blowtorch and they're like, let me do it and not suck, and you're like, I've smoked meth in chiller situations than this, sir, you know, and then you know, my thing is that I always remember. After I do like two dabs at somebody's house, you know, just being a, a guest and accepting whatever is offered to me, you know, mm-hmm. then I say, I remember last time I said I was never going to do this again. Yeah, you know? exactly. And yeah, like, the, you know, and then you see some, you know, yeah. I mean, the two bad dab memories that I have is like uh, going over to someone's house to buy LSD. They offer, you know, you want to do some dabs? Sure, sure. And then driving home just like. I have felony in my car. Yeah. 
what am I going to do when I inevitably get pulled over and I'm dab high and I have to eat 30 hits of LSD and spend a week in jail tripping, you know? And then, you know, I remember being on tour in Colorado when, when, when that whole, you know, Colorado exploded with weed or whatever. And someone giving us all these, you know, someone who worked in the industry giving us, you know, Oh, you got to try this dabs and da, 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 da. And then these people, we we're staying at this nice house and I had my own, they give me my own bedroom to stay in. And some of their roommates came home and they just left a camping trip early because of an alien experience. Mm. And they come in the door and are starting. And the, and the tent was ripped up and it didn't make any sound. And I was like, I didn't even know that. I was just someone in the living room and I was like, can you stop talking about this? Yeah. You know, earnestly. And then I spent the night in the van, like feeling like I had the spins or like, you know what I mean? Cause I was just yeah. like freaked out, you know? Yeah. So it's like, yeah. Yeah. What, well, well, I mean, so, you know, what other lessons, I mean, should we close with lessons for the kids? Cause I gotta go pick up my kid. Oh yeah, we what? can. I mean, I just, you know, just get out there and, and see things and, and live your life and, and get on the road and, and try not to get caught <laughs> normally basically is how we do it. I mean, the first time I ever dabbed, like I didn't, you know, I say I'm like the tour dad. I don't, I try to keep it, you know, I don't want shit in the car. I don't want nothing. And I it was, I went to this dude's house in the morning for like a, like a meeting. And uh, it was literally like, Nine o'clock, and I left at like ten. He's like, "Dude, this is totally like you want to do a dab." I'm like, "I don't even know what that is." He's like, "Oh, you know, it's like this is the concentrate of blah 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 blah." I was like, "Yeah, whatever, sure, of course I do." And I'm like driving up Mopac, like, "Uh, <laughs> what yeah. is this? Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. I don't do this. Yeah, yeah, yeah dude. no, man, I don't do all that." What about in terms of uh, making stuff and creativity? What's your What's your like, what's your lesson? Can I be honest with you, man? Like, yeah. weed, I've always, I don't smoke that much. No, anymore. no, not in terms like, of weed. No, no, I'm talking about music and I was going to say, like, weed was never really like, people like, I, I love to smoke and paint. And that's yeah, where yeah, my yeah. creativity, like, it made me like not want to do certain things, like kind of chill. But when I was writing for magazines, what one part of my technique was I never would write stone, but especially if it was a feature. Yeah. I had to read it stoned yeah. before turning it in because if I had smoked some, I'd be like, bullshit, bullshit, dumb. What did you, don't say it like that. You sound yeah. stupid. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Fix that shit. Yeah. And it, that would work for me for sure. I think cannabis is, is a great editor. For yeah. sure. And as yeah. far as right now, like I love um, the podcast thing because – when you know, as as an older man here, uh, back in the day, it was like, no, you talked about Jim D or Goddess. We yeah. had people like that that we were like, that's the person you read about, read for this. That's who this. We didn't have Twitter, five thousand people telling us everything. We had like this sort of place where we'd go, you know, read Maximum Rock and Roll or The Source or yeah, whatever. Yeah. Say, yeah, and uh, <clears throat> the blogs were really cool for a little while because it was people who really cared about certain things and that's what they did and then it just exploded and like everybody is quote unquote blogging on their social media and it's just a lot of noise and look there's a million podcasts too there's too many but when you do find that podcast that's pretty cool that the voice the guy the girl or whoever it is doing it that's got like some kind of insight that you relate to you feel it's it's a really cool thing i mean mm. 
I I love uh like I probably listen to ten percent of the turned out of punks. Yeah. When I want to hear somebody, when I do want to hear somebody, it's the best thing in the world. Yeah. You yeah. know? Totally. Yeah, I gotta go. Okay. My, yeah. But yeah. I was thinking about this though. I've I've been thinking about this recently with like what what I'm trying to like, you know, teach my kids and you know, I might after after I get off kind of my paternity leave, I'm thinking about doing some uh, advanced writing tutoring and shit like that, you know? Mm -hmm. But, like, man, I was thinking about this the other day. Like, the fucking, the, I mean, like, I don't like to, you know, I'm not in a position to give advice because I don't think I'm, you know, all that fucking great at anything. But, like, um, what what I'm trying to teach my kid is, like, be constantly creative. Just like, and he's got that. Like my kid just walks around singing to strangers songs. He's making up mm -hmm. and shit like that. Right. And it's just like, it's like, don't fucking try to be a prodigy, you know, just like be constantly creative and then be a little bit discerning about what you put out. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And cause that's what's worked for me. You know, it's just like, it's like people be like, man, you write so much, you know, especially the last like 10 years when it's just like publishing tons of shit in the Chronicle, right? And it's like, oh, you write so much. And it's like, I actually write seven times more than that. And a lot of it I just don't put out because it's like, what is this, you know? Or like, doesn't have a, doesn't have an application or something like that, you know? Mm -hmm. So. Um, well, what do you want to leave him with? There's any I, find you online? Oh, uh, what am I promoting right now is uh, I'm. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, we didn't yeah. even talk about Kanto. We didn't yeah, talk yeah, about yeah, yeah, Damn, yeah. I'm, uh, you know, I'm gonna be. I'm about to. Uh, I'm about to combat what I see with a lot of independent artists as like their career anxiety showing through in independently releasing music by having the most fun on a kind of um, uh, music project release cycle. That's going to be uh, starting this month. It's, it's, it's a new uh, a new project called Grease Jordan. I got a bunch of music recorded that all the songs are uh, are really fun and involve a lot of people. And uh, I'm going to be, my whole thing with it is like, this is not a band. It's not playing shows or something. I'm going to focus on, uh, I want to try to have the most fun showing people, promoting the, the music. Mm -hmm. And just be like, Look, you don't have to be worried about, you know, whether it gets listened to by 100,000 people or half a million people. The fucking, it's like the journey, not the destination thing, you know? I have so many fun ideas on on how I'm going to uh, uh, put out a bunch of uh, uh, songs and videos that, you know, I had amazingly talented friends make and... Uh, and that's, you know, that's what I, that's what, uh, uh, I have to promote. And, um, uh, so look out for, uh, look out for some, uh, some music by a project called Grease Jordan. And then, you know, I'm looking for a literary agent for, uh, for, uh, a toddler horror book. I just wrote called, uh, the kid who got stuck between two doors. Forever. Oh, shit. Oh, so shit. if there's any uh, children's uh, board book literary agents listen to, you know, find me Dirt Curtain uh, on, on on Instagram or something. 
For sure. We'll get a, I got a couple people for you to talk to. <laughs> really? I think so. Yeah. Okay. Okay. No problem. Let's do it. Thank you one and all. Once again, tell a friend, tell a friend. Talk So Real with Matt Sanzato is out there on pretty much all the platforms, I think. I'm pretty sure. And I want to thank you again, Kevin. Man, thank you. Coming down. Kevin Curtin in the house. Matt Sanzala has the most longstanding, carefully uh, earned clout in uh, Austin in my book, man. You know? This is thank uh, you, but I don't know. <laughs> I, it's a subtle clout, you know. It's like it's like no one would say that your talk is not so real. Thank you. You know that's what, what I'm saying. saying. That's it. That's, that's, that's the only goal. Yep. So so I'm I'm stoked to uh, I'm stoked to be here and be on it, man. So thank you for sure. Thank you, brother, and thank you all for listening. Tell a friend to tell a friend.